0: welcome to the foreign to you podcast an audiobook version of the novel foreign to you written by jeremy martin that's me and published by nine star press finn is read by jeremy martin adelaide is read by Jana sensnig enjoy
1: The lights sway in the air, and the houses shutter for but a moment. But within one quick breath and the next, it stills itself. Finn helps me back up on my feet, eyeing the buildings with the fear that they might come toppling down on him. What do you think that was? Finn starts to ask. The ground rumbles once more, this time with frightening power. I scream as both Finn and I crumble into the streets. I hear the symphony of shattering glass windows. Broken potted plants and collective shrieks rising into the sky. Finn pulls me underneath them as debris rains down around us. With the final shudder, the sensation trickles away. People start to flood back into the open. The music of crying children and frightened dogs bounces against the walls. What was that? Finn asks, looking around wildly. Are you okay? My heart is the only thing still affected by the quakes. I think so. It was just... My scream is stolen from me as a pungent force tears through my limbs. My legs seize up and my fingers start to crack and bend at incorrect angles, propelled on their own to take new shapes. Finn stands over me, unsure what to do. When he finally scoops me up, the skin along my arms parts to give way to thick, white fur. Finn struggles as my body spasms, the motion throwing him off balance. No matter where he places his arms and hands, a blossom of fire erupts from the contact. Just hold on, he commands as we begin to move. Let's get you out of here. His voice contains the kind of control I need right now. He manages to carry me to the first hill behind Norsewood and lays me on top of the grass as gentle as possible. Are you in pain? I clench my eyes tightly shut because everything burns. Yes, I lie to him, because this feels a lot like a shift, like my body wanting to change forms. Is there anything I can do? He asks as he glances back to Norsewood, curious of what the disturbance was. When I roll onto my stomach, Finn aids me in sitting up, wrapping his hands around me. He does not move away in disgust as my skin expands and slithers beneath his touch. He even holds back my hair as I vomit onto the grass, graciously averting his eyes at the sight. As I wipe at my lips, he continues to pepper me with questions on my well-being. A dim light simultaneously catches our attention. At first, it is a sliver of a smolder in the forest, tiny enough to be a bug. As it grows, their radiance increasing with each second, the light seems to be getting closer. By now, Finn and I are not the only ones who notice how the trees in the forest seem to be glimmering. As both humans and Fianna gather outside of the town, the light shifts and evolves until it takes on a familiar shape. The light extends, twists, and expands until a stag the size of a house stands at the edge of the forest. His fur is a mix of gold and white, a color that looks alive. Along his spine sprout mushrooms and other wild vegetation, as though he was unearthed from the ground itself. His antlers sprawl above his head, not really horns, but branches from a tree. Flowers and leaves hang from the tips, birds flying back and forth in delight. In the end, the eyes are what captivate me. From a distance, his gaze searches for me, finds me, and captures me. His eyes are more like smoldering flames, like a fire burned within his skull as he exuded power, growth, and majesty. Like an arrow slicing through me, I hear, come to me. The words echo around my mind like a song. At the hum of his tune, my veins respond, twisting in me like vices, my organs swelling and desiring to be in a bigger space. Finn's arms tighten around me. Stationed around the stag are several other deer that glow like him, as if he is the moon and they are the stars. All of them stand stoically, watching us, but never moving. For a moment I imagine they are simply trees, odd plants that are a trick of the eye. A lone woman walks from Norsewood and into the fields, swaying like a newborn. Her body, which twitches like mine, falls forward seamlessly onto four hoofs. Unlike me, this woman leaps through her forms with no hesitation. She races across the green like a bullet as several other Fiana answer the call of the forest. My kneecaps snap backwards, my bones grinding against each other. Finn can't hide how much this disturbs him. Do you want me to go? He asks me as quietly as he can. My fists clench his shirt, and my pain robs me of my careful words. Don't, I hiss. Don't let me go. I want to tell him it's because of Anna and Caleb. I can't leave the two of them. Yet it is fear that keeps me clinging to Finn. The stag begin to turn back to the forest, taking their light that glows like the lilies with them. As deer, both Fiana and Beast, race to the tree-line, I hear one last time, join us. Not yet, I decide. Finn looks at me with concern. Finally a gigantic stag is all that remains of the herd. Lifting one hoof and slamming it down into the earth with a mighty force, the stag causes the ground to crack open. More commotion starts as the earth near the stag erupts. Dirt sprays into the air as thick cords rise to the surface. Those are vines? Finn states, his tone unconvinced. We watch as the vines twist and tangle among themselves. They move on their own, slithering like snakes until the growth layers together so densely it creates a wall. As far as I can see, the vines are crawling forth and combining, forming a barrier. My back shudders in hot torture. With a grunt, my spine snaps. I lie limply in Finn's arms, unable to say a thing as he props my head against his chest. I can't come right now, I try to tell the stag. Please understand. With a turn of his head, the magnificent buck vanishes, and suddenly the world is a thousand times dimmer. The fianna that didn't make it beyond the vines are pawing at the structure and crying out over and over. The forest, Finn says. His voice a mixture of awe and fear, and Norsewood. They're separated from each other. As the deer and Fianna bellow, I begin to hear the steady cheering from the humans.
0: CHAPTER Thirty One. FINN. Adelaide collapses seconds later. She goes limp in my arms, and it reminds me too much of a corpse, like a body after a bullet rips apart the vital organs. Parts of her are no longer human, and I'm not sure why that doesn't bother me as much as her being unresponsive does. People are still consumed with fear as they look to the forest with renewed suspicion. In the evening hues, we cannot see the wall, but we know it is there. Hoisting Adelaide up, I try to cover up the parts of her that are beastly. Two women glance at me as I enter the town, concern tightly worn on their faces that they inspect Adelaide's body split in two. Blood from her transformation clings to my skin. I hold her closer and give them a daring sneer. Norsewood is filling up to the brim with excitement. I can't fully understand. Some are baffled at the display before them. A few voices confess their suspicion that they saw a god. But all of them fuse together in joy. When I round the corner, I see Noah standing at the entrance to the inn. His bow loaded with a steel-tipped arrow. That means... A swift kick to the back of my knees causes me to tumble forward. Adelaide's body bounces against the stone streets. Hazel pounces on top of me, pulling my arms painfully behind my back until I swear they're going to tear free. Her lips brush my earlobe, possibly an erotic action if any other situation with any other person. Some wild turn of events, hmm? Looks like even the god of the forest is against you now. But I'm not here for a struggle. Not one bit. She tells me, while a finger tickles my neck. I was hoping now you would start to understand. I slip my arm free and slam my elbow into her cheek. She gives me distance, dropping into a battle-ready stance with a sinister smile. Like an exposed fang, Hazel unsheaths two thin, boned daggers. I have been looking forward to a good fight, Finny. I'm just surprised you would hit a woman. (laughs) You are Far. From a woman, I tell her. I swing high, knowing that she will dodge my fist. As she ducks, she flicks her dagger, slicing shallow cuts into my thighs. I accept the wounds as I bring up my knee, catching the edge of her jaw. I grab a fistful of her hair and fling her against the side of a house. I grab her wrists and squeeze until the daggers loosen in her hold. I manage to catch one of them, which I press against her windpipe. Yet, Hazel surges to life, wrapping her legs around my ribs and squeezing. I wince from the pain, hesitating for just a moment to take the Huntress's life. When her head collides with mine, I see only black. I stumble back, knowing I'm completely vulnerable, but I cannot see a thing—a solid kick to my gut. I slam into the opposite wall as another blow to my stomach steals my breath. Hazel leads in close, her retrieved blade delicately easing into my throat. You are truly pathetic. If you weren't such an ass, you might be able to see that I'm trying to help you." A prominent click causes Hazel to peek behind her. Marshall stands with a rifle poised at the girl. You are a terrible little creature, Marshall tells Hazel. I put down critters with less of a bite than you. Hazel laughs, the threat as feeble as a fly. <laughs> I have an anger problem. Could've fooled me. If you don't mind waiting, I'll get to you as soon as I'm done trying to talk some sense into Finn. The gun fires off, the bullet catching a wooden crate beside me. I can see, from the look in Marshall's eyes, that he notices the proximity as well. And I'm impatient, Marshall retorts. I would hate for this to get ugly. I have a few chickens that get awfully cranky if I don't give them a bedtime story. Hazel gives him a hard blink. With the distraction, I attempt to both slip from her hold and deliver a swift blow to her side, but she is already out of reach, gliding around gracefully. She moves too quickly for Marshall to follow with the tip of his rifle. In the end, you're only hurting yourself, Hazel tells me from the lip of the alleyway. When all goes to shit, pay me a visit, okay? In that moment, I want to tell her that her name is on a growing list of those who will fall by my hand that my vengeance will one day find her. But before I can say anything, she is gone. I bend down and gather up Adelaide in my arms. Despite all the commotion, she has still not woken up. I owe you again. Marshall shrugs, slinging the gun across his back. You're just lucky I came by this way. His eyes settle on Adelaide. She doesn't look good. I shift Adelaide's weight. Don't worry. I say, unsure what extent of truth Marshall wants. Poking my head around the corner, I see that Noah has crawled away from the inn's entrance, no doubt following his sister into whatever hole they inhabit. Marshall holds the door open for me, saying, until the next time your ass needs saving. I give him a smile. How about we don't make this a regular thing? Don't worry. It won't. Besides, you don't seem like the type who asks for help a lot. Marshall comments as the door closes behind me. The girl behind the counter is the owner's daughter, Lila, and when I ask where the Fionas named Caleb and Anna are staying, she gets flustered. To her, Adelaide's protectors are just another mess she has to clean up after. Instead, I ask for an empty room. Lila nervously grabs a key with a worn-out five on the tag and attempts to hand it to me. I blink at her, arms full of Adelaide. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lila says as she snaps into embarrassed action. She darts from behind her counter and rushes down the adjacent hall. Several rooms later, she unlocks a door and holds it open so I can lay Adelaide on the single bed. I nudge the door shut with my boot, cutting off Lila's gawking and ramblings. My fingers touch Adelaide's wrist, finding her shallow pulse. I go into the cramped bathroom and return with a wet cloth. I start to scrub away the blood and petals, but Adelaide's body spasms once more. Her arm snaps at the elbow, blood squirting from a dozen cuts. I hold down her arm as it flails, but the rest of her body is reacting the same way. I am helpless while I watch her lose one part of herself to gain another. You told me not to let you go, I say as I push her into the mattress by her shoulders. Her eyes race rapidly under her eyelids. You should know by now that I'm not good at keeping promises. With a final jerk, Adelaide goes still, sagging into the mattress in exhaustion. Her body starts to reshape but this time, tenderly and subtly until a human girl rests on top of the covers. Once her final fingers crack into place, Adelaide's eyes open. You're okay, I reassure her, finding another blanket to cover her with. I'm going to ruin these sheets. Struggling to remain awake, Adelaide's eyelids seem to get heavier and heavier with each blink. Fortunately, these were trash long before you. I say, trying for humor but landing at blunt honesty. I tried to find your guardians, Caleb and Anna. Adelaide sighs. That is probably for the best. I shall let you get some rest. I say, like a doctor prescribing his patient medicine. Yet I clearly don't know what is best for her. As I rise, Adelaide rolls onto her side in an attempt to hide her face from me. She doesn't pull up the covers quick enough to mask the single tear that escapes her eye. It vanishes down her cheek like a shooting star. "'I didn't go to him,' she tells me. "'I didn't go to this egg.' I wait in the silence, uncomfortably, knowing that eventually she will expect me to say something. "'Why didn't you?' I ask. "'Because if it had been me, I would have (laughs) run. I would have fled.' "'Even if it means abandoning others,' my heart whispers with malice I've become accustomed to. "'I wanted to,' she admits. "'I would be safe right now, in the trees. "'With him,' Adelie closes her eyes. "'But I don't think I was made for safety and ease.' "'I exhale, and without my permission, words go with the exiting breath. "'That's stupid.' Adelaide and I stare at each other, shocked, her because of the words, me because I said those words. Why did you say that? Her voice is oddly steady. She doesn't ask, what do you mean, but instead, why? Because, I say, pausing, my throat is not big enough for words and air. You could have left this behind. You could be safe. Regardless if that was her god or not, it would be a step up from Norsewood. I couldn't leave Caleb and Anna behind, she says with anger curling beneath the surface. I will not abandon my people. I know what words are coming next. I see them, understand them, fear them, but I do not stop them. Maybe you should, Adelie blinks, quiet as a snowflake. I don't see them risking their lives. I don't Because that is my responsibility. Adelaide cuts me off. Why? Why you? I say, but I'm not sure I'm talking to Adelaide, or anyone in this town, or anyone in this world. My anger propels me to someplace new. Why does it have to be you who suffers? Simply because your god deems it fit? You suffer so that others can smile and dance and laugh? Adelaide, back against the wall now, lingers on the divide of fury and sorrow. You should have left, I tell her, but I'm also telling myself this. You should just worry about yourself and leave. While she readies herself for a reply, I desperately want to tell her, This isn't about you. This is about me. You don't believe that I can do it either. It is strange because in that moment our voices sound the same, but how can they? She hasn't experienced a fraction of what I have. Or has she? That's not what I'm saying, I attempt. Just go. She lies, back into the mattress, and pulls the covers up so that all that shows is her hair. I follow her orders, hesitating at the door before leaving. I look at the room and the weight of the thousand memories threatens to crash me. I imagine all the times I should have said something to Jay that I should have spoken up, confessed, pleaded, anything, but I was silent. I'm sorry, I tell her, as the door closes behind me. By the time I make my way home, a steady drizzle has begun to soak the world. With the moon and stars completely blocked by the storm clouds, my trek home is one mostly made from memory. The further I get from Norsewood, the easier I find I can breathe. The tethers, the things that bind me, are left behind in town. While Paul is a complication himself, he is a practiced madness. I know all the ins and outs of him. The house comes into view, with the vines creeping dangerously close. Unlike the cords that brush against the field, these seem hungry as they slither and creep across the light that illuminates the house. The front door is open and swang in the stormy breeze. The scream slams around haphazardly. Water is puddled around the entrance, and it seems like every light imaginable is on. Stepping into the living room, I find it trashed. Sofa, upended, pictures torn from the wall, and windows shattered. I step through the chaos, my boots crunching over glass as I collect the entire scene. "'Paw?' I call out. He does not answer. A warning sounds off inside me, when I see Pa's favorite painting torn in two. One tattered half remains attached to the rusty nail on the wall while its counterpart lies on the floor, helpless. Pa! I shout, nothing but ghosts howling back. I turn, ready to begin my search upstairs, when I see the basement door, bashed and hanging off the hinges. I jump down the steps, two by two, until my boots slap the concrete floor. A lantern is flared up in the corner, and I ignore the warnings that Paul may be hiding in his delusions. I get to Paul's desk, and I run my fingers through the ash that has settled. Several of his notes and research are burned and disfigured. I pick up the lantern, and I look for her. When I come up on the table where she should lie, I find nothing but a cotton sheet. My mother's body is gone.
1: Adelaide, Chapter 32 No matter how deep I burrow beneath the covers, I cannot escape Finn's anger. Regardless if he is physically present, his fury remains with me. I close my eyes as hard as I can, but I can't stop replaying his words over and over. You should have left. You should just worry about yourself and leave. I throw the sheets off, sit up, grab the pillow, and begin to pound it against the bed in vivid frustration. I grit my teeth as I smash the pillow repeatedly, trying my fullest to erase Finn's words and the thoughts it awakens in me. You should have gone, my heart tells me in fear. Your herd is no more. Between my shaky breathing, there is a tap at the window. Yet, from my vantage point, I find nothing but the ghastly streets of Norsewood outside. I remain still and wait, seated on the bed as I take large gulps of air. Before I give up my watch, a rust-colored doe appears, pressing her damp nose against the pane, pleading for my attention. I rise, expecting the animal to get spooked once it sees movement. But no matter how close i get the doe continues to gently tap on the window once i noisily slide the window up the doe eagerly presses her head through the gap her nose twitching as she takes in the musk of the room i laugh quietly as she licks at my finger i reach to brush her jawline but she dodges my touch prancing back playfully i try once more but the doe dances away hopping youthfully in the empty streets her hoofs clack on the stones like a rhythm you are playing a dangerous game," I tell her, unable to remove the smile from my face as I watch her thriving with life, bustling with it. I rest my elbows on the sill. The humans don't look kindly on our kind. Her golden eyes stay connected with mine. Daringly, she must have been one of the many Fiana that shifted into their natural form just to be isolated from the forest a day ago. The doe swings her head beckoningly. "What do you want?" I ask. She continues the motion, stomping her hooves in emphasis. I close the window and leave the room. I tiptoe out into the lobby, but after a quick peek around the corner, I can see the front desk is unmanned at this hour. I leave the inn and round the building to the main street, but the doe is gone. Had she thought I was leaving her? Did the sound of me approaching startle her into fleeing? A sadness, a rather nameless one, settles on me. I imagined her joyous energy would be contagious with just a brush of her fur. Click, click, click. I look over my shoulder. I am positive that the doe has crept from her hiding spot, but it's not her I see gliding down the dimly lit street. Completely at ease within the confines of the human settlement, a magnificent stag moves towards me without a worry. He struts stoically, at peace in this terrain. I take a step forward. As he gets closer, I identify him as one of the bucks who stood beside the colossal stag. His fur hums with a gold energy, and delicate white flowers are spotted throughout his coat. When he settles before me, my entire body trembles. Exhaling, the stag envelops me in a cloud. My head barely reaches the top of the stag's shoulder, and I wonder how hard he'd have to kick me to end my life. He exposes his flank to me, and I see a single lily on his shoulder blade. The edges of the petals are rimmed with a violent red. Drops of said color drip onto the ground as if the flower is a wound on the stag. I make eye contact with him, raising my hand slowly. I wait for approval, but he remains as still as a stone. I move my fingers around the base of the flower and pluck it from the stag with a pop. Roots begin to twine around my arms, crawling up the expanse of my skin until they slither up my neck. I attempt to throw the flower, but the roots cling to my skin ravenously. The red expands until the entire lily is painted in a rose hue. I can't even afford a scream as the roots squirm through my lips and into me, and before I— You must find me, I hear. I open my eyes. And a man stands before me. When I blink, he is no longer human, but a stag with antlers that reach up to the sky with the ends of becoming stars. I do not know where to find you, I tell him, but my words do not come out as a singular noise, but as a chorus of voices. We are lost, I say, because there are multiples I speak for. I am but just one. I understand that here. The man extends a hand to us, his skin radiating the energy of the sun. We have no fright as he lays his palm to our cheek, like a father to his child. Images race before us onto his skin as he touches ours. Blood, too much of it, rains from the sky and drowns squirming bodies. They are running through the streets, through the open land, escaping, escaping, escaping. Death, we say. You show me death. I show you the end. Make that what you will. "'What shall you do to prevent this?' we say as we watch several beings die by the hand of a human female. The stag snorts, and the visions vanish. He stomps his foot into the earth, and two figures spring forth. One is a tall Fianna male with beautiful carved antlers, and the other a petite human female. Their eyes are full of love, and the female holds a hand to her stomach, which is larger than usual. The cycle is starting to erode. The events are no longer lining up. The man waves his hands, and the two lovers vanish. This is the future you have sown. We stand above the world like birds, staring down at the forest, the resting place, like guardians. In a second, the forest is ablaze. Greedy black flames look at the green without remorse. It continues until all the land we see is charred and ashen. Eventually, only stark white bones litter the land. This is the future you desire? The stag questions us. We do not wish this. We will serve fate. The man nods, and when we blink again we see a female fianna and a human male. They stand before each other, this time without love in their eyes. They each hold a dagger. Lunging forward, they bury the blades into each other's hearts. When they fall to the ground, their blood pools out in a lily the color of snow blossoms. Begin again, I hear. In front of me are endless images of myself. They all stare at me. Some are bloody. Others are malformed. They are all me and they are all their own. The man reaches down, and he points to a singular location. In my mind, I know where that is. I can see it. Begin again. I open my eyes, and I am alone on the streets. No lily, no stag, only the steady dribble of rain against my head. Find me. The words echo throughout me. The cycle is starting to erode.
0: much for listening to our podcast if you want to support us please consider leaving a review on apple podcast also if you have an amazing story you want to bring to life consider checking out jenna may co jenna may co is passionate about helping small businesses creatives and individuals find the right words to bring their brand to life with excellent copy editing services that's jenna co.com j-a-n-n-a m-a-e-c-o dot com. Lastly, consider purchasing a copy foreign to you at your local bookstore. Until next episode, make sure you read a good book.